0: Welcome to the Self-Kindness with Pete podcast, where we explore self-kindness. What is self-kindness? It's not just fluff, it's substance. It's not just a nicety, it's a life-altering practice. We explore how getting a foundation of self-kindness right inside allows you to live as your very best version of you in the world. I'm Pete Sibley, the Self-Kindness Coach, and I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to another Self-Kindness with Pete. I am Pete Sibley and oh my goodness what a week. You know so much goes on in a week these days that it's it's like we as a culture and as individuals have grown so much in this capacity of what we can take in and I'm not just talking about the news, but I'm talking about our own experience. If you haven't followed me, if you don't follow me on Instagram, um, you can run over there to find out a little bit more, but just a wild, magical week in my world with, you know, people reaching out, strangers uh, offering me, offering to help pay for a mastermind. Coaching program that I was applying for, then me not getting into the mastermind, but having an incredible life breakthrough. uh, You know, just with continuing always as this self-kindness journey happens, continuing to drop in and getting to know who is this person that I call Pete. What stops me from living courageous and big and beautiful in the world, except a thought, a perception that I'm putting out there about the world, about you. And so bringing it back in to me, I get to witness deep inner wisdom. And I'm so excited that this episode is coming out at this moment in time with my friend Christine Stewart. And We'll get into introducing her in a moment, but just that reminder that you, my friend, right now, you are part of the wisdom story. It doesn't have, I mean, who knows what the beginning is, who knows what the end is, but what will be your part? As you carry the baton, what will be what you add through who you are in the world through who you are being in the world. And can you truly land on that truth and wisdom that loving you, being unconditionally kind to you, is enough? That that actually is the greatest gift that you can give to the world. Imagine a world where First and foremost, we measure success as how kind a person is to themselves. And really drop into that. Notice how the mind wants to make that into, oh, that's selfish. Or, you know, nothing will get done. And it's not true. That's not my experience. And I invite you, I challenge you. To prove me wrong. So that's the magic unfolding in my life. And I invite you to join me on that journey. Uh, You know, find me on Instagram at selfkindnesswithpete or head over to my website petesibley.com. You know, like the show, leave a comment in here, interact with the world that is inviting you to be kind to yourself. So my guest today is Christine Stewart, and Christine is a certified professional coach. She's an herbalist, a hiker, a dog mom, who is helping people remember who they are and what they're here to do. I know you are going to just love the ease and the deep connection that she shares in this interview with everything from herbal medicine to contemplating the wisdom in understanding death to sitting by a beautiful cedar tree. And here's my guest, Christine Stewart. (laughs) All right, so let's start there. Christine Stewart, welcome to (laughs) Self-Kindness with Pete. So glad to have the uh, kind herbalist uh life coach on the podcast today. Welcome.
1: Uh, thank you, Pete. I'm really excited to be here with you and to, uh, I think both of our brains work in similar ways around self-kindness and coaching and how we think about thoughts. So I'm really excited to dive in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Well, um, I, I do have a mug in honor of our conversation today. Um, by one of our inspirational <laughs> teachers, Miss Byron Katie. So we'll probably get into some of her stuff. But my friend, tell me about um, your definition right now for self-kindness. What does that mean when you hear those two words together? And why did you, maybe you already answered that, why you said yes to be being on the, the conversation today.
1: Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about self-kindness a lot in terms of what it is not like the contrast to self-kindness. Cause I think you see few, like you can see the color white much more clearly when you compare it to black. Right. Mm. And so when we think about the opposite of self-kindness, it's like, it's like a person at war with themselves. Right. It's someone who's judging themselves. I'm not good enough. I didn't say it right. I didn't do it right. I'm not Earning enough money, I'm not thin enough. It's a, it's a person who is both like the victim and the judge, a person who is both the Mm -hmm. abuser and the abused. It's a person who's who's at war with who they are. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about that, like self-kindness is the opposite of that. I think about self-kindness as a person who's like at one with themselves, who's no longer at war, someone who's feeling peaceful. About the way their body looks, about how much money they make or don't make, about their their purpose, their who they are as a human being.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, you know, I was thinking about this before we got on this call today because I Pete am a person who, like my entire life since I was a little kid, I've been nervous to speak in front of groups. Right. And so I have this distinct memory in the fourth grade of practicing. I would write down everything I wanted to say on an index card. So I had the whole word for word from like, I'm going to present on this. My name is this all the way through the presentation. And I would practice and practice and practice. And I remember practicing in the living room with my mom sitting there on the couch and I'm shaking bright red. I feel like I can't breathe. I'm like moments away from a panic attack in my own living room. Mm right? And so that's like, that's been my experience of public speaking. And so now as an adult, it's like every time I get on like a this conversation with you or a new client conversation, I feel nervous. And I used to try to fix myself because I would tell myself that I can't be nervous. Mm. I have to be a professional. I have to be the coach. I have to, right? Like, this this way that I naturally am is not okay. I mm. need to fix it. I even once asked my doctor if I could overdose on chamomile tea. That was like a possibility. <laughs> Cause I was drinking so much chamomile tea before a new client call. Yeah. And the that's what a war at mind with itself is. It's like, mm. God, who I am, how I'm feeling right now is not okay. There's something wrong with me. I need to be fixed.
2: Yeah. Mm
1: and now it's different for me as i can just i've stopped trying to fix it and i think that's the i think that's the work of self kindness yeah yeah
0: yeah i i agree that that most of the conversation that i have gotten into around self kindness was by playing out and living out fully the story of what self-kindness wasn't. So mm. it's like, I took <laughs> I took it all the way to the end and I'm like, nope, that didn't get me to where I thought I was wanting to go. And yeah, there is that narrative, right? Of something's not right with me and I need to fix that. Or maybe the narrative is, um, oh, a really popular narrative that comes up is everybody else has their shit together.
1: Yeah, for sure they do. Um, and <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah. I think having this conversation with you and just exploring this idea of self-kindness, what it is and what it isn't, opens up that space for, oh, wait, your shit it just got hit by a lawnmower and is all over the place. Like, yeah, my pilot shit is the same. Like, it's yeah. everybody. It's like, oh, yeah. You too, like nobody taught you how to bring yourself back to self-kindness. Like, oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah,
1: I actually think that's the greatest lie that we believe is just us. Right. I mean, I sit with people all day and it's like, God, the sharing these, these really painful thoughts. I hear people share really painful thoughts a lot of my day and it's like, God, if they only knew I've had those thoughts. Every client I've ever worked with has had those thoughts. These thoughts aren't personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like when we believe that it's just us and that the world has it together, it's so it's so hard to come out of hiding. And that's right. shame, right? right. Like everyone else has it together except for me. Don't look at me. I'm going to play small. I'm going to drag my feet in the mud. I'm not going to, like, I am the only one who's broken.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. My as much as you feel comfortable sharing, and you started to, like, it sounds like you know some of those thoughts pretty intimately. <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. but yeah,
0: you know, from a beautiful way of of not turning, and you know, but actually turning towards and being like, yeah what I just distinctly intuit about you is that you have turned towards those in that, you know, and brought that desire to be like, okay, you're here. Like, let's start with that acknowledgement, maybe into a conversation and maybe into a relationship. But, and then, so what has your journey, what did your journey look like mm-hmm. that that brought you to to this conversation today?
1: Yeah. You know, I think if I were to write an autobiography of my life for the first 30 years, it would be just, it would be called I'm Not Good Enough and Mm. all the different variations that has been the like biggest weapon I've ever used against myself. Mm. And so my journey of self-kindness is like, it just became too painful to continue to live the way I was living. Yeah. I remember I was in my mid-20s. I had just moved out to Connecticut. I'm living on the ocean. It's my first, I'm from the Midwest. This is my first time living close to the ocean. And I brought my dog out with me. Now, the thing about believing you're not good enough is that you'll find evidence and, and proof for this in your life all over.
2: Right.
1: And so I would I would walk my dog, Pete three times a day, Because I believed I wasn't a good enough dog owner. So I'd walk him in the morning. I would come back during lunch and I would walk him at after I got back from work. And it was on one of those walks during lunch where I'm walking next to the ocean. It's a beautiful day. I don't even notice that it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. day. I don't even notice Mm -hmm. the ocean because what's happening in my mind is so cruel. It's like, you're not a good enough dog owner. You work 40 hours a week you you're never home this dog is home alone all day this dog belongs to be with a you know a family with four kids and a beautiful backyard in the suburbs right like I have this whole story and then I see this movie playing in my mind of like how miserable my dog is how much regret I'm gonna have when he dies because I was a bad dog owner I wasn't home enough meanwhile I'm a woman standing with a dog next to the ocean that's reality
0: yeah
1: Right, But I remember waking up in that moment, and it was the first time I had ever had anything but a one-way like conversation with myself. Because I paused, I look out in the ocean, and I was like, well, how would I know if I was a good enough dog owner? Don't all dog owners have to work to afford food for their dogs? And that was really the beginning of a different conversation with myself because I could see kind of the ridiculousness of it. Right. But up until that moment, it had just been like a constant berating. Like you're not Mm. good enough at work. Your boss doesn't value you. You're not paid enough. You don't have a nice enough house. You don't have a like smart enough boyfriend. You don't have like all of these things, no matter what I did, wasn't enough.
2: Mm.
1: And the reality is it's, it just became too painful to live any other way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah yeah isn't that just that seems to be the way of this human adventure and we all try to get out of it that the pain takes us to a place or the the challenge or the situation or the suffering it takes us to a place so that we come into that I don't want to say the next phase of realization or the remembering. I mean, there's so many ways that it's been spoken about, but yeah. So you have that moment. So how did, how did you take it? Or where did you take it?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, for like, to your point, I actually think rock bottom is like the best place you could be. Because there's nowhere lower to go. Like I was living out in Connecticut. I was an awful dog owner. I was bad at my job. I didn't have enough money. My apartment wasn't good enough. And I'm drinking like close to a bottle of wine a day, right? Like that's my life. I didn't really feel like there was much lower to go. And so it's like, it was in that moment that I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do whatever it takes to Mm dig. I can't keep living like this. Mhm. And so for me the journey was like finding the the next right person to help me. I mean we were talking before we hit record of like the value of of having each other as mirrors. Yeah. Right? Because the other person usually sees a much kinder story about yourself than you see. And so for me it started with therapy, which I think is a really really valuable tool of looking back at my life. Like when did the story start? What was happening in my life? Where did I I'm learn this story? Processing some of that trauma and really becoming comfortable feeling feelings, which was not something I was comfortable doing, yeah. which is why the wine was so important.
0: <laughs> right. right. Right.
1: And then it was, it was really a path of like, like I I worked with a number of different coaches before I found the work and Byron Katie's work. And that was really like, for me, the moment where it felt like, oh my God, you mean like my thoughts aren't real. I don't have to believe every thought that comes into my yes, mind.
2: Right. I can
1: do something with this. I can be an active participant in this experience. Yeah. yeah. And so that's when the light bulb really went off for me. And it was like, God, like I had no idea. I had no idea that like being right was costing me so much, Mm. right? Cause that's kind of what it is. It's like, I think we like so much to be right. Like, no, I'm definitely right. I'm not good enough at my job. I'm not a good enough dog owner. I'm my apartment's not big enough. I don't have enough money. I'm correct. Mm. And what that process taught me is that I can be right or I can be free. And I would much rather be free than right because the experience is just, there's just so much less pain.
0: Yeah, yeah. Talk about some of the qualities of what, because I know where, at least I believe I know what you mean about being right or being free, being somebody who is a huge Fan and tons of gratitude to Byron Katie and, and the work. What for you is that? What are the, some of the qualities of moving from being right to what does the quality of life look like of yeah. being free? Because I think, you know, of course, all, all of us intellectually are like, yeah, of course I want to be free. And like, you know, that's, but then, yeah so I'm just curious what what for you are some of those qualities of being free
1: yeah I mean I think the really good indicator for me if I'm right I'm usually feeling some judgment some resentment some anger for sure disconnection from another person like I've if I'm judging you I can't love you And I think for me, freedom is really like, God, there's so much peace. Mm. There's so much love. I mean, that's one of the really, you know, I feel like if we are in life school, I feel like this chapter of time that we're all alive in is like amplified life school. This is graduate level shit because when, you, when I look in the news, there are so I have so many reasons to judge and hate other people, mm-hmm. right? Think about the last year, like the, the abortion ban in Texas, the election cycle, the COVID vaccines, all of these things yeah, please, that I could have yeah, a really yeah. strong opinions about that could keep me from loving you. And also keep me in a lot of pain, right? Because at the end of the day, I can't control what other people do. And so for me, it's like when I'm right, I get to be really righteous. I get to be indignant. I get to stand on my, my like high horse and tell the world how things should be. But being free, I think, I think an aspect of it is living with the knowledge that you can't know that more is possible than we can ever imagine that there's uncertainty Mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. I often find, and I don't know if you found this in your work, it's like, we want to hold on to our thoughts, you know, in some, in some way, all the thoughts we hold on to serve us, they allow us to maybe stay safe. They allow us to stay small, stay hidden, like any number of reasons, but it's like, yeah, God, we can be Right. We can be right that the world's hard right now. We can be right that people aren't making the right decision. We, we can be, we, we can be right. We, we get the right to be right if we want that life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's like, at what cost? What is it like to be in your own life when you are believing so adamantly that your best friend needs to make a different decision yeah. and that you can't be happy until they do? What happens in your life? I think that's
0: freedom. Right. Well, you know what part of my experience of what you're talking about and I would love to hear your reflection on that is sometimes in touching that freedom or experiencing that freedom away from like that I'm thinking about that I'm in that free space it's like the experience of that freedom I notice my mind comes back in And like, that's that Marianne Williamson quote, which is like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're more afraid of how brilliant the light is in us than the dark. And I heard you say like, you know, we have reasons why we hold on to that desire to be right. Um, What's, has, has that been your experience at all in that space of freedom where you notice the mind comes back in and it's like, wait a minute, Christine, this is like. You know, this is getting a little out there. like what do you mean? like like love that big? like what's gonna happen to us, christine if if you're like fully in that space of of love and wanting to just yeah, I don't know if, if that yeah. there was a question in there for you,
1: yeah, I mean, this reminds me of the conversation we had last week, Pete. so it's like I have this fear of being seen so far I've run Mm -hmm. like a really pretty comfortable business for myself that allows me to stay comfortably present on Instagram. It allows me to not expose myself on a bigger stage. Right. And the, the conversation we were having last week is like, there's a part of me that really wants to start writing Start joining the conversation in a bigger way there's a part of me that's like oh man like if we all had access to some of these tools our world would be such such a better place right and part of our conversation last week, I was like, I'm so, I'm so scared to fail. I'm scared to be canceled. I'm scared to be on this big stage and say the wrong thing and feel embarrassed. Mm. And we didn't cover mm. last week. I was like, Oh, that's not it at all. I'm scared of making it. I'm scared of being successful. Yes. I'm scared of people seeing me. I'm scared of like, you know, uh, God, what if I, what if I blow up? Then what happens? Yeah. Mm. I'm so, it's so vulnerable. Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I think I mean to your point it's like we hold on to these thoughts I'm scared of failure what is that thought giving me it's allowing me to play on a smaller field and do I want that I think that's actually if you think about like self-kindness as a practice it's the I think it's the ability to like take your thoughts look at them, contemplate them, and then consciously decide if they're thoughts you want to keep.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I love that question of, do I want that? Because in that, I, yeah, I think that's that can be a hang up for people around the idea of self-kindness. Because when you land on that question of, do I want that? Like it's seen as like selfish and that somehow we're going to like, you know, take the worst of that uh, you know directness meaning like we're gonna like like whatever it takes to get that want. And I, that's not my experience of it. It's like I love that image of playing on the field. I grew up as a baseball player and it's mm-hmm. like you know you're playing on the field and you know playing small. like there's nothing wrong. like there's so much to learn on the small field. Like there's all these basic skills to pick up, like how to feel the ground ball, how to like square yourself for a bunt, like how to, you know, how to back up players. Like you're learning so much, but that doesn't mean that at the same time you look over and you see those big kids playing and you're like, someday, like, I want to play on that field. Like that, like, yes, the ball is going way faster. Yes, they're like turning double plays. Like, yes, like, you know, that's that's that next. And that's such a beautiful part of our human experience, and so many of us have been conditioned out of that want and that desire um yeah you know, out, of, out of for so many from so many different reasons and for but but I love that you would just you just brought that up. It's like that's my want,
1: yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've been, <laughs> this isn't where I thought this would take my mind, but I've been contemplating death a lot because I think if I really knew how fragile my life is, like how quickly I, all of these things I've worked for could be taken away. If I really lived in that knowledge, that like moment to moment awareness. You're like, what, what would I have to lose?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, t- yeah, we we'll talk about that. I mean, and you can, d- I think maybe that's, that is also a beautiful place to bring in, you know, that herbalist, you know, plant loving uh, part of you that is just, you know, so beautifully talks about that in all of your social about this love affair with with life as it exists in lots of different ways, but especially in plants. But tell us yeah. about this life and death, exploration that you're doing
1: oh my god well it's it's such a beautiful there's so many beautiful metaphors and things we can learn just by observing nature because mm. we i think think that we're not nature that we're separate from it we live in these homes we have air conditioning and we have heat and we get in our cars right like our interactions with nature would be like going to leave the house to go to a park that's how we've that's how i was brought up thinking about nature yeah but in reality like nature your nature the bricks in my house that's nature and if we think about this and like one of the things i love and learning about plants and mushrooms are really powerful teachers about death right Mm, because things are constantly living dying being born in the natural world and mushrooms are the, the mechanism that reabsorbs that death and turns it back into life
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited about mushrooms. But anyway, yeah, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody's mind goes there with mushrooms. Yes, you go there with mushrooms. That's a beautiful part of mushrooms, but it's such a, you know, anyway, mushrooms. Yeah. Such great teachers.
1: Yeah. I think Uh, we live with like, we overly identify with the parts of us that are temporary, which is my role, my status, how I identify myself as a coach, as an herbalist, as a partner, as a dog owner, all of that's temporary. All of that can be taken away. And when we identify with those identities, it's like, oh my God, I just have to hold on to them because they're slipping away. Like I'm what's my partner doing? He's out, you know, he's out of town this week. It's like, right? Like the mind is just relentless. But if we start to identify more, like whatever you call it, identifying more with the part of you that will be alive long after this body's gone. The part of you that like, I don't know, I always describe it as the soul beat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But people describe it in a lot of different ways. But it's like, God, if this is my experience of life right now in this moment, and anything is possible, what do I want to experience? How do I want to enjoy this life? Yes. Yeah. What do I want to notice? What am I willing to feel? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, oh, those nervous butterflies before speaking become less big when I think about it that way. Because it's like, oh, I, oh my God, I'm yeah, alive.
0: Totally. Yeah, I was just about to say, I think we landed on that, you know, conversation where it's like, those butterflies are aliveness. Like. Yeah. How, how much fun you know from that standpoint totally. yeah it's
1: like I wow. literally have no idea when this is going to be over for me in this experience as you know Christine Stewart yeah life coach and herbalist right yeah. <laughs> yep. like I, have, I don't have the slightest idea
0: <laughs> right like, so what would stop you
1: right why not find out what's possible why not risk failing why not Why not have the audacity to be nice to myself while I'm here?
0: (laughs) I mean, really?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's such a crazy concept that we have to, you know, it's like we, uh, of course we should be nice to ourselves. Our experience of our own life would be so much nicer if we were kind to ourselves. Mm. I don't know that anyone would disagree with that. The most common thing I hear folks say is like, I might stop trying. I might not work as hard if I wasn't so hard on myself. And I've found the opposite to be true for me. It's yeah. like a whipped horse will never run as hard or as fast as a horse that loves to run. Wow. So, what are we doing? Hmm. I mean, I think the things that were, you mentioned this earlier, it's like the things that we're scared of, the things that feel the hardest and the heaviest the things we definitely do not want to look at. Once we look at those things, it becomes so much easier. It's like once I really started to look at, okay, I'm not good enough. What does that mean? Not a good enough dog owner. What does that mean? How would I know? What if I was a good enough dog owner, right? And like really started to contemplate this it's like, oh my God, I was so much more present on the walks with my dog in the ocean. We went to the beach, right? Like, mm-hmm. I had such a better experience of my life mm-hmm. once I had the audacity to like go into that dark cave. Really, it's the courage, mm-hmm. I think.
0: Well, and it's one hundred percent the courage and the willingness to shine the light on the dark cave, and then. Now, I'm, I'm losing the metaphor, but I was about to say like inviting people <laughs> over to look at the dark cave and be like, hey, yeah. look at what I carved on the wall here in this dark cave. And then people look at it and they see art or whatever. And you were yeah. like, no, no, no. This was like the shitty part of me. And, yes. you know, it yeah. just makes me. I had this thought um, come in as you were speaking which is like I wonder if I can invite that even right now in our conversation like what is something about me that you know in that space of the death contemplation in that space of just Mm -hmm. aliveness in that space of like what would stop me like what is it about Pete that I still am like I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm like putting it out there. Um
2: yeah.
0: And what came to mind is well, I'm just going to go for it, which is like I noticed that there is still this part of me um you know in that enoughness that I feel like oh, I've done all this work. I shouldn't have this anymore still comes up for me and that is money and abundance yeah and that's even wild to notice how hard that is just like say that out loud but yeah the fact that's you know again the identity of holding a you know pete like self-kindness coach and like going easy on yourself and how so many things have changed in my life and but that is still one that I hold as like, yeah, still got a little work there, you know. Let's,
1: yeah. Let's get to
0: that, and you know, certainly don't let other people know that that's where you still need to do your work.
1: So. Oh, for sure, and it's like, I mean, it makes I it makes so much sense. Think about the, like, um, the amount of data that you have in your mind around money. Yeah. This I right like i have i have the same issue with money where it's like i catch myself like oh can i afford that and i get nervous and i get anxious and i cut it's like a it's because i was brought up believing it's rude to talk about money you can make someone uncomfortable you want to have a lot of money but not Mm -hmm. too much money because if you're rich that means something else but if you're poor that means something else right like i could write novels (laughs) about all the stories i learned about money Yeah. And so it's like, no wonder we we still get caught up on this stuff because from the moment we could understand what was going on around us, we started to internalize our parents' stories about money.
0: Right, right.
1: Our grandparents, our ancestors. Yeah. And I think in our culture specifically, we place so much value on money and status as an indicator of success and your own worth. Mm. we often tie self-worth to money. Like, well, I'm I'm feeling really confident right now because I made a lot of money. (laughs) And so it's, yeah, I mean, it's no wonder. And I thank you for sharing your dark cave Mm. because I bet we're all, you know, with that visual, I bet we're all just in different corners of the same dark cave, too scared (laughs) to turn a flashlight on.
0: (laughs) It's like if one,
1: if one person turned the flashlight on, we'd all realize that we're not alone.
0: Oh yeah. Mm. Oh, that makes me like, you know, just that, just, I don't know what's the, the word like not longing, but like just such a sweetness for our innocence. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that's such a, such an important part of self kindness. Mm. It's like when we are believing our thoughts, we can't do any differently. Right. We yeah. we can't, we can't. We're in a movie. I'm over here believing I need to be a good enough dog owner, so I need to be a stay at home mom with three kids and a backyard in the suburbs. Right. Mm. Like when I'm believing that, I have I. I literally can't do or be anything else. It just seems to be a part of the human experience. When we believe our thoughts, we're innocent and we're lost in the story. And my God, like I have so much compassion. I've been lost in so many stories before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know how hard and hard, how painful that is to believe that to be successful, I need a different title or I need my boss to behave differently, or I need to have a different car or make more money or have flashier marketing, right? Like that's so painful. I can have compassion for that woman. Yeah. I don't need to judge her. And she's already judged herself.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I think. You, oh, go for it.
1: Well, just in our talking, it's like, I think the foundational skill of self kindness is the awareness of to really start to slow down your minds because what we're talking about are things that happen so quickly. It happens yeah. in the split second. And so to really develop that kind of awareness, you are like, what, why am I being mean to myself? How am I defining success? I mean, yeah. I think that's like the one, if you do one thing, that's like kind of the one foundational skill on the path. Yeah. Cause if yeah. without that skill, it's like, you're, you're just in the movie.
0: Yeah, I think our modern wisdom teachers point to that, whether it's Byron Katie, who, you know, the word that she might say the most is notice. Yeah. um, Or Eckhart Tolle with, you know, the power of now.
1: Yeah. Right now. You know, I'm reading um, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. And he, have you read this book? No,
0: but I just, I love this theme of you just embracing death. Um,
1: oh, we're going straight towards the cave today, Pete.
0: <laughs> we're in the cave.
1: We're in the cave. Well, he talks about, one of the, the points he makes is like, there's a very specific type of Western laziness where we, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like where we make ourselves so busy, we we stack our calendars so much that we don't look at the real issues of life, right? Like we can't, we don't look at the reality of that. Like the only thing we can be certain of is that everything that's alive right now will someday die. Yeah. Right. And so we, but we just keep ourselves so busy. It's like, well, I don't want to work on my mom's stuff. I don't want to work on my money stuff. I don't want to look at, Feelings of self worth. So I'm just gonna stack my day with meetings, and then I'm gonna go to a happy hour, and then I'm gonna eat dinner and go to bed, and not create any space to think about it.
2: Hmm. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like one of the. I really I feel like death is like the dark cave that none of us want to go into.
0: I, yeah, I've heard it say that it's it's the best teacher of life.
1: Oh, I've found that to be like I am But you I were both like, yeah. Yeah, like it's like what we were talking about at the beginning, right? Like it's it's much easier to see the color white if you also see the color black. It's much easier to understand life if you understand death. Mm. Like none of the things. None of the common markers of success are things we take with us when we die.
2: Mm.
1: It's just about noticing. It's like God, why am I working so hard to get the title, to get the promotion? To it's like, what? What's important to me? It's such a clarifying cave.
0: Mm. So let me put because obviously. This is a conversation that I would love to have <laughs> all day long. But I, I want to, with the time that we have, yeah. let me put this question to you. Um, and hold on, it was it was just there. Um, th- that's it. So the question is for you as somebody, and I love this imagery as an herbalist to, you know, see the plant, you can know the plant's medicine, But then there's that step of actually, you know, taking the plant within you, whether it's chamomile or what, you know, whatever the Mm -hmm. plant is. And, you know, we ingest the plant in this case, but really what it is, is it's an an embodiment of that knowledge that you might know about the plant. So you can know that mint is going to help your, stomach or whatever if you're feeling an upset stomach and you want to yeah.
2: order
0: that little and you can know all about it and know every aspect about mint but until you pick a couple of leaves and brew it into a tea or whatever and drink it like they're they're they are completely different experiences of the same thing so yeah. how do you embody this this knowledge, this understanding that you're talking about, uh, you know, and the wisdom that, that you have really gotten in touch with in your life.
1: Yeah. It's such a great metaphor for it too, Pete, because it's, um, it's really easy when you're learning herbalism and you're studying to treat it like any other subject, where you, you know, you get the flashcards out and you start to learn the names and the actions and where it grows and how to use it and how much of it to use and in doing that I think you really lose you no longer see the plant as like a living sentient being that Mm -hmm. has you know life force flowing through it just like I do and the real knowledge all all of the my herbalism teachers have said over and over the real knowledge comes from being with the plants from using the plants in your everyday from it's almost like if you if you imagine the experience of drinking six cups of coffee you know how that changes your consciousness you might become anxious nervous like real jittery so all all of all of the herbs the plants have that same it's like your consciousness changes yeah and if you can slow down enough to notice it's really cool like, how do I feel when I drink three cups of peppermint tea? How do I feel when I drink camp? Where do I feel it in my body? How does my energy change? How does my, the quality of my thought change? And so I think Mm -hmm. part of the, you, you know, you're talking about like, how do you embody these things? How do you take this knowledge from something that you understand logically to something that you know in your bones and can then like change how you're being in the world? I think You know, I think the the foundation is awareness. And I actually have found herbs to be a really great tool for cultivating awareness. Because every time you drink a cup of tea, you have the opportunity to ask yourself, How am I feeling? Mm -hmm. What am I physically feeling in my body? What is the energy, the consciousness, the plant medicine that I want to call in Mm -hmm. and be in partnership with? And it's such a great ritual for creating that kind of check-in with yourself
0: oh i think and i think that's so important i just want to say that um you know you you used plant medicine and i think in the you know it's certainly not common but i feel like in those of us who who are open and interested in these ideas whenever you hear plant medicine like you always think people are talking about, like, oh, this is like some psychedelic trip and I need yeah. to have like a shaman sitting next to me. And it's like, no, actually, plant medicine is as intimate as like eating the vegetables that you're eating and feeling the texture yeah. and the flavor. Does make your body feel or like eating some beets? And then a couple of days later, like, oh, wow, look, hey, you know, my pee is red or, you know, whatever, like just watching yeah. this experience. And I love that you just gave me that opportunity to you know remember that plant medicine is is that and you know i saw like something it brought tears in my eyes a post that you had Mm -hmm. of some i don't remember what what tree it was but you asked you know does anybody in my area know a beautiful i think like it was maybe a cedar
1: cedar tree yeah it's like i
0: need i needed uh to sit with a cedar does anybody have and it just was like first of all I want to say thank you and Mm. it's like that reminder again that it's safe to want what we want like it, Mm. it just it brought me back to like I love the experience of being next to those plants and those trees and to forget that as part of, um, just, just a possibility like that, that is safe. Like that is sacred safe time to just go and sit by a tree.
1: Yeah. So thank you for that. Oh yeah. And for those who are listening in Columbus, Ohio, I'm still looking for a cedar tree. (laughs) I um, you know, I was walking to a bakery a few blocks away and I walked right next to a cedar tree and I was just struck by how much I just wanted to sit in this stranger's yard and be with it. I think it's such a, um, when we really start to slow down and notice our thoughts, how we're feeling or who we're being, It's like the whole world around us feels a little bit more magical Mm. because that cedar tree is no longer something just to consume and to landscape around. It becomes this, you become aware of the energy of a tree, Mm. Mm. of a weed, of a, you know, of a bush, like all the things that we walk past because we're moving so fast.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, that awareness. And I'm so grateful that the awareness is just so alive and real in you that you are able to share it in all that you do. So Mm -hmm. how can people find out? How can people get on your feed so they know which tree and where to direct you out there (laughs) if they're in Columbus? (laughs) How can we and learn everyone, more about all of what you're doing?
1: i with a cedar tree in your backyard here. Is my personal cell phone number. Um.
0: And we, you know, maybe uh, you'll have to keep us posted, but um, what would stop you from knocking on that neighbor's door and saying, can I sit with your tree? It's calling oh, to me.
1: Such a good question. Made me sweaty just to think about it. Um, folks you can may, find me. Yeah, I mean... Right. That'll be part two.
0: Okay. <laughs> Let's do it.
1: Um, folks can find me on Instagram, Christine M. Stewart, um, or you can find me online, Christine Stewart.com.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you're working with one on one with people. What what does that look yeah. like?
1: Yeah. So I work one on one with folks as a coach, and I also weave in herbs. The pretty magical. Um like, welcome to coaching. Here are some herbal allies to support you in this journey. Ooh. So yeah.
0: Wow. That sounds amazing. So well, thank, thank you. you so
1: much for having me. This was so oh, fun.
0: Oh my goodness, such a joy, such a privilege. Hmm. So if you want to find out more about getting some of those herbal allies that Christine talked about, you can definitely go down to the show notes and find her and follow her on Instagram. Beautiful pictures, wonderful herbal wisdom. And don't forget, as she mentioned, we are all connected in this life adventure. And if you are at all feeling separate, Breathe, my friend, notice where you are, and reach out. There's only one here. We're all doing this together. You doing your self-kindness work, that inner work, and embodying the wisdom of the world around us is doing it for all of us. Okay, my friend. Until next week, I love you and be kind. Hello, Self-Kindness repeat listener. It's time to take that leap, my friend. My three-month and six-month weekly one-on-one coaching is how, how to create that self-kindness practice inside of you, how to do it in a way that works integrating who you are, your perceptions, and making it completely catered for your needs so that you end up having a self-kindness practice that leads and works with your life for the rest of your life. Go to the show notes, click on the link, and start today. You are so worthy of the self-kindness already in you, my friend, and I can't wait to have this conversation with you.